electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. A damning investigation into Instagram and its role in connecting pedophiles. Facebook's former chief security officer and one of the investigators at Stanford, Alex Stamos. While there are a bunch of companies involved, Instagram turns out to be probably the most key one because it is the place where these buyers and sellers find each other. The state and safety of social media for teens. We found that Snap and TikTok were doing a lot better. Those are the two other big platforms for teenagers. That important conversation today. And the Saudis spreading soft power through sports. New York Times columnist Tom Friedman on the kingdom and global golf. I think this decision was a terrible decision and everything that's flowed from it has been to unravel and try to disentangle that terrible, terrible, foolish decision in my view. Those stories, the big tech workforce, crypto's lawsuits, all on this weird smoky sky day in New York. Did you see the the orange it's, uh, sky yesterday. Oh my God, it's, it was in the middle of the day. It was apocalyptic. Sun. Sort of. It yeah. was unbelievable. It is Thursday, June 8th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Meantime, New York City's air pollution, it now ranks the worst of any city in the world as of yesterday. As wildfire smoke from Canada continue to drift over the area, the city's air quality rating reaching a level considered hazardous for all residents. The FAA halted some flights found for LaGuardia Airport due to the smoke, poor visibility causing delays at Newark Liberty Airport, uh, New York's uh, governor, Kathy Hochul, calling the air quality an emergency crisis and urging people to stay indoors if possible. Some folks are being sent home. Google told its uh, East Coast employees to work from home if possible and limit exposure to outdoor air. Major League Baseball postponing games in New York and Philadelphia. And the Twitter account for the musical Hamilton said the hazardous air quality made it impossible for a number of its artists to perform last night. A whole bunch of shows uh, we're shutting down, uh, including um, Shakespeare in the Park, which was, I think they were doing a rehearsal, so they needed to prepare uh, yesterday. Did you see the, and the orange uh, sky yesterday? Oh, my God. It was, it was in the middle of the day. It was apocalyptic, sort of. It yeah. was unbelievable. And it, it didn't, it's weird, it didn't get warm. No. It was supposed to be 75 degrees yesterday. It was like none 66. None of the sun rays. But this is really. post-apocalyptic. I mean, think about it. If this is where we're all headed, and this is going to happen you know, even a couple times a year, this is a problem. It's a big, just, big just problem. From, just from, what, what do you mean? From drought? You have to do forest management, obviously, up there. You need to do pre-burns. You need to, you need to manage the forest because, Andrew, emissions are going to keep rising because of China and India. So if you think it's going to happen all the time. The, the flooding, too, the flooding and the droughts, it's just one in one place, one in the other from this? I, I think that this, you, it is impossible to not put this in the category of impossible. some form of meaningful climate change that's happening in this world. And the fact is that, that, the, that these forests should be managed. The forests should be managed better. But that's the, truth the only is, way to do it, though. But, but the truth is, they're so dry now, and that's and and that's it, what leads to different this. different every year. It has to do with El Nino. It has to do with normal weather patterns. It, you can't. I'm always told don't conflate weather 
with climate. And that's, that's what happens all the time when it's in the favor of people that, the, the, the bottom line, Andrew, is we're not gonna, emissions are gonna continue rising for the next decade because of China and India. When forest sure. fires burn, yes. when they burn, the emissions that come from this dwarf any mitigation efforts that we're doing right now. In California, for 15, okay. 15 years of CO2 mitigation was wiped out in one year, in 2020, from the forest fire. So if you don't manage the forest properly, I'm it's, not saying you need you shouldn't well, manage that, the forest properly. That's the only thing we you, can do because the other stuff is we can't change that. We cannot change that. But but it's some funk. Okay, let's not have a, a climate change. Uh, well, you, you, you started it. No, because you tried to say that, there, that this has nothing to do with climate change. I don't think it does. Have, we've had forest fires for four billion years on this planet. There's been forest fires. There are, it's lightning. We have droughts. We have floods. We have adverse okay. weather events. events of, just to, to knee-jerk tie one to the other is just I, sort of jejune. It's just not It's banal. It's just not. Don't do it. You can't, every time, every flood, every drought... Every heat wave, every cold wave, every, if it causes everything, you can't refute the hypothesis. Did you, did you read anything I, today? I, I'm today? not going to say anything about anything. Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you continue? You, you want me to read the news? No, you can do, okay. you can talk about whatever you like. Google's planning to crack down on employees who haven't been coming into the office consistently. The company updated its hybrid work policy yesterday, internal memos. Viewed by CNBC show the updates uh, include tracking office badge attendance, confronting workers who aren't coming in when they're supposed to, and adding attendance as a component in performance reviews. Yeah. Most employees have been expected uh, to report to physical offices at least three days per week since April of last year. And in a memo from Google's HR chief, the company stressed that the benefits of working together in office are uh, apparent and ask those people already approved for remote work to reconsider a separate internal document showed that already approved remote workers may be subject to reevaluation if the company determines it's necessary. And wow, they're writing it for me now. And going forward, new fully remote work will be granted by exception only. Absolutely. It'd be, it'd be, yeah, absolutely. It'd, it'd be impossible to do it going backwards because the time has already passed. So. That's kind of implied that from here on, that's the way it'll be. Days after the SEC filed suit against Binance lawyers for the crypto exchanger, accusing Chairman Gary Gensler now of previously offering to serve as an outside advisor to the company. The lawyers claim in documents filed by the SEC that Gensler offered to serve in the role during several conversations in March of 2019 that he had with the company's founder, we call him CZ, uh, and other executives. They say CZ continued to stay in touch with Gensler after that meeting and sat down for an interview with Gensler uh, at his request as part of a crypto course that he was teaching at MIT. So this was interesting. I tried to figure this out. thickens a little bit. I tried to figure this out yesterday. I guess the original invitation for lunch was came from CZ. Right. Uh, but having him come to speak to his students at MIT came from Gensler. Um, Gensler, I think, pushed back and said, there is nothing needed here. He does not need to recuse himself. Um, and that's what CZ's lawyers were kind of pushing for. And a mystery trader may have netted millions on an unusual Coinbase options bet just minutes before the SEC announced it was suing rival Binance. At 10.36 a.m. Monday, a block of more than 4,000 contracts of Coinbase uh, puts with a strike price of $50 that were expiring Friday 
hit the tape as the stock was trading uh, at just over $61 a share. Uh, by noon in New York, Coinbase had fallen nearly 12% in the options, which were bought, you can imagine, if it was 61, expiring on Friday with a 50 strike price, they were 18 cents each. They traded for as uh, high as a dollar, a gain of almost 460% uh, if sold at the peak. They're still out of the money, but they actually, as you can see Were they there, sold at the peak, though? All right, well, they got, it actually got into the money and would have been worth a couple of dollars there. Yeah. But uh, now it's back out of the money, 52.78. So uh, Raises know. questions if somebody knew something was exactly. coming, and then even more questions if they sold at the and peak. I guess you it, could, not at the peak, but at the, at the trough. You could sell Coinbase based on knowing something about Binance, I guess, but then it happened to Coinbase. I'd be better, wait a couple of, yeah. Amazon planning to launch an ad-supported tier of its prime video streaming service, that's according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, saying the discussions are in an early stage. Separately, Amazon is also in talks with Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount Global about adding the ad-based tiers of their streaming services through prime video channels. That means users can sign up for and view Max and Paramount Plus through Amazon's app. And, it's fascinating to watch what Amazon Prime has actually done if you look at the, how sort of successful the service has been at becoming almost an aggregator in a way that so many other services uh, haven't yet. But that could be sort of where this all goes. I know we talk about all of the sort of premium programming that, you know, an Apple and an Amazon and everybody's trying to do. But in many ways, if they can become the new cable box or the new cable consolidator, that is actually sort of a pretty great business. It's just weird, though, because you know, like an ad tier, I feel like I, I, I don't know people who pay for, for Amazon video as much as they do it just to get the, there's so many other things that come with Amazon Prime, like for the delivery and everything else. It, it feels like they would be the last ones who would need an ad tier to draw people in because there's so much you get with that membership anyway. Uh, you, but you're able, you're able to get it at a cheaper price. But the rest of the stuff too? You get like delivery and all the things. Like I didn't buy Amazon Prime for the. Well, TV, no, but you can TV buy Amazon. Some it. people are buying Amazon Video because they want the video service separately. Just a separate thing without. As if you want the video, cheaper. in the same way that people subscribe to Apple or they subscribe to Paramount or that people you have a TV show that you you like. Yeah, it just that that one I never think of as being a subscription to just the video, as opposed to all the rest of them, because there's so much other stuff you get with it. But they have football, and they have yeah. a lot of other yeah. things that are maybe, for whatever reason, you're, you're not you're No, not I, I, I get it. No, I get it, but I get it because I want my packages delivered. Like, Fair enough. Yeah, there's stuff that goes along with it. I just yeah. think of that as having yep. so many other functions right. that come with it. Coming up, a disturbing investigation into Instagram from the Wall Street Journal and Stanford University. A network of pedophiles connected by an algorithm, keeping kids safe on social with Facebook's former chief security officer, Alex Stamos. These are teenagers who are putatively selling their own imagery and videos uh, effectively as a commercial business that they have set up on a variety of platforms. And while there are a bunch of companies involved, Instagram turns out to be probably the most key one. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And a warning, this next story is a sensitive one. It covers pedophilia and explicit child imagery. Here's Andrew. New research shining a light on the dark underside of social media. Investigation by the Wall Street Journal and a university researcher saying that meta platforms owned Instagram is connecting and promoting a network of accounts dedicated to underage sex content. The journal says Instagram's technology connects pedophiles and its algorithm recommends the illicit content. In a statement, Meta says that it continually explores ways to combat violations of its child safety policies and is committed to continuing that work. Joining us right now, though, to talk about it is Alex Damos. He's the head of the Stanford University Internet Observatory and Facebook's former chief security officer. So he knows about these issues well, and I believe you understand how this algorithm works. Um, tell us about both the challenge and uh, really what's happening here. Yeah, so this is a research report by myself and two of my colleagues, David Thiel and Renee DiResta at the Internet Observatory. Uh, and what we found uh, working alongside the Wall Street Journal uh, is that there's a, a huge network of what we call self-generated CSAM. So this is self-generated child sexual abuse material. These are teenagers who are putatively selling their own imagery and videos uh, effectively as a commercial business that they have set up on a variety of platforms. And while there are a bunch of companies involved, Instagram turns out to be probably the most key one because it is the place where these buyers and sellers find each other. Uh, the, the buyers use uh, hashtags uh, that are not that hard to guess. I'm not going to say any on air, um, but uh, tags that uh, that they, they use to find a couple of initial buyers. And then what happens is that there's hundreds and hundreds of accounts of sellers who are right. connected to one another, who then the algorithm that Instagram has shows them and it, uh, introduces them uh, to more potential sellers of this material. Um, so it is it is a real problem, and, and it, it is something that we have told Instagram about uh, right. several weeks ago that they've, they've started to address, uh, but it really is a, a huge issue there. How long has it been going on? Well, this has probably been going on for at least a year, year and a half for this specific network. That's about the age of most of these accounts. Few of them are, are more than a year old. Um, it's hard to know exactly how long that this kind of exact thing has happened on Instagram. Um, but these specific accounts, are some of them are about a year old. What happens is if sometimes they get caught, if Instagram looks right. takes one down, they reinsert themselves in the network. And so that's one of the interesting things we found is that this is effectively a coalition of sellers of, of child abuse material right. who then if somebody gets kicked off and they come back, they will welcome them back into the fold. They will follow them. They will promote them. And then uh, the algorithm and the way the hashtags and search work on Instagram reintroduce that seller to thousands and thousands, right. tens of thousands of willing buyers. Axel, let me ask you a very pointed question, given that you used to work at this company and given that you've raised questions at times about uh, Meta and their security and their management, either about looking the other way at certain uh, things and other things. In this case, are you suggesting that they knew about this and looked the other way? Are you suggesting they've been acting in good faith, 
trying to eradicate this, and it, it, it's a problem that's almost insurmountable insofar as these folks uh, popping up left and right uh, on their own. Um, judge this for us. So it's definitely not an insurmountable problem. Getting rid of everybody doing anything bad on Instagram, that's impossible. Not allowing people to openly sell child abuse material, some of which is not just naked photos and such, but some really, really horrible, terrible content. It is totally possible. Um, and I think what's happened here is that Meta has really focused on AI and automation as the backbone of their content moderation strategy of what we call trust and safety in, in the industry. They've really focused on how can we have computers do this work for us in all these languages at all of this uh, scale across the world. And they've de-emphasized having people just go and do the gumshoe work of looking for these kinds of networks and taking them down. Uh, and, and I think it's a, it should be an indication that if, if three academics with limited data access, with the, the tools that we can build on the outside of the company, if we were able to do this work uh, on an annual budget that is less than uh, Meta pays for Post-it notes, probably, uh, then it, their reinvestment in having human beings do that kind of work is probably the, the only appropriate way forward. Um, and that's something we've talked about them. The other thing that turns out is because of the work that we've reported them, they found that there was a serious technical flaw that was uh, closing reports if somebody had reported that one of these accounts was selling child abuse materials, that those reports would not get seen by a human, would be closed automatically by a computer without any action being taken. So there, there are specific technical problems that they're working on. But really, in the end, they just need to invest in people to do this work on a continuous basis. Alex, when you say this is a huge problem, what are we talking about? How many how many teenagers, um, how many people are, are doing this? How many customers are paying them? It's just a terrifying right. thing. So the, the cluster we were looking at had about 500 sellers and tens and tens of thousands of buyers. Um, it's, it's not... Uh, super easy to tell exactly how many buyers there are across th this this whole network, but it is in the tens of thousands. Um, and a lot of these people are using their real identity. So you're not talking about criminal masterminds here, at least on the, the buyer side. Uh, these are people who have uh, accounts that are then tied to their real Facebook accounts and their can't little league coaches, these pastors and such. I mean, can't law enforcement actually start zapping those people and making examples of these people who are child I mean, these are pedophiles. They are. And I hope that was what happens. And this also is a failing of law enforcement, to be frank. Again, not criminal masterminds here. We're just able to go look, use terminology uh, that is widely used within this community, right. insert ourselves. And then Instagram does a lot of the other work of recommending that, uh, of recommending other people to, to follow to us. And so one of the things we did here is we reported all of this to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, which is the legal clearinghouse in the United States chartered by Congress to handle these kinds of reports. Um, we reported it to them in the same way the tech companies make these reports, and they have been working with the FBI. So we are hoping to see arrests uh, in the coming months. Hey, Alex, uh, you know, when you put out this report with the journal, um, I think Elon Musk and uh, others on Twitter, uh, you know, promoted it um, because they were looking at a competitor. When you look at the competition and the safety on platforms like a Twitter, like a Snap, uh, we can go down the list. How do you measure them, given the people you know and what you know about the security and other protocols that people have put in place? Uh, where, where does Meta stack in that for you? Right. It was a little odd for Mr. Musk to... Uh, I, I appreciate uh, that he went out there and, and pushed the report. Um, 
I guess he didn't read it because one of the things we found is that there were several hundred accounts on Twitter, um, although it did look like they were being taken down. The interesting thing we found about Twitter is that sometimes since Mr. Busk purchased the company, uh, they're basic scanning for what's called known CSAM. So these are images of kids that have been seen, usually reported to NCMEC, reported to law enforcement. And the NCMEC generates what's called a hash, a fingerprint for the image that's then shared with tech companies. Twitter scanning for that stuff had actually broken and they had not noticed themselves. Um, We noticed it because our systems automatically check anything that's being downloaded to our systems at Stanford to make sure it's not on that list. And we reported that all to NCMEC. We took that to Twitter and they found that they had technical problems and they fixed it. So Twitter has their own issues here. Um, We found that Snap uh, and TikTok were doing a lot better. Those are the two right. other big platforms for teenagers. And crazy enough, well, for all the issues we talk right. about with TikTok, this is not one of them. This was a right. network that was uh, any time that these folks popped up on TikTok, they would be taken down pretty quickly. We appreciate uh, you bringing us the story, uh, the work you've been doing on this important stuff, and uh, appreciate it and look forward to talking again very, very soon. Thanks. Thank you. Cheese will be next. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, the new Middle East. New York Times foreign affairs columnist Tom Friedman on the changes in the region and the impact around the globe. I can tell you that if you haven't been to Israel in the last six months, you haven't been to Israel. And if you haven't been to Saudi Arabia in the last five years, you really haven't been to Saudi Arabia. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one. Cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. New York Times foreign affairs columnist Tom Friedman joins us this morning. His latest column from Tel Aviv to Riyadh recounts a recent reporting trip he made to the Middle East. And Tom, welcome. Great to be with you, Beck. Middle East is a place that you spent a lot of time, but you say on this most recent trip, things were very different. Yeah, you know, uh, as someone who's reported from both Israel and Saudi Arabia for um, uh, really since the late 1980s, um, I I can tell you that if you haven't been to Israel in the last six months, you haven't been to Israel uh, to see the remarkable democracy movement that's emerged there from the center left and center right. And if you haven't been to Saudi Arabia in the last five years, you really haven't been to Saudi Arabia. Um, and let me start there, Becky. You know, uh, when I left Saudi Arabia the last time, late 2017, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the effective ruler, had announced women uh, would be able to drive beginning in 2018. I came back um, uh, and discovered Saudi Arabia has its first woman astronaut um, who drove a rocket up to the space station. And um, uh, has women Uber drivers now and has two Formula One women drivers. So a huge vault forward. When I left in 2017, MBS said Saudi women can um, attend soccer games. Uh, There's now a Saudi women's uh, premier soccer league that's uh, just about to begin its second season. 
So it's been a dramatic, a radical and rapid uh, social change. When I left in 2017, women's participation in the workforce in Saudi Arabia was around 16, 17%. It's now around 33%, which is a gigantic increase in such a short time. These are important trends. They're good trends. Important trends, good trends, but it, it goes with the same leader, Mohammed bin Salman, who's also been linked directly to the killing of Kamal Khashoggi, uh, Jamal Khashoggi. And all of these questions that are coming up in the news front and center because of Live Golf and the combination with the PGA, um, people look at it and they say it's blood money because it's coming from the PIF, the Saudi Arabian PIF. You know, it all goes back to that um, uh, terrible, um, uh, grotesque, uh, not just murder, but dismemberment of Jamal Khashoggi. And so, you know, for, for me, Becky, um, when it comes to how do you think about Saudi Arabia uh, today, how do you write about it, from my point of view, as a foreign affairs writer, is um, uh, to ignore um, uh, what was done to Khashoggi um, and the continual suppression of dissent, political dissent in Saudi Arabia uh, would be immoral, in, in my point of view. To ignore, though, the dramatic social changes that are happening there that are enormously important for Saudi Arabia, for the Middle East, and for American interests would be irresponsible. And so the only way I can square those two is to write about both um, uh, as honestly and, and as forthrightly as I can. Now, where that bleeds into the live tour, that sort of structural dilemma, Beck, is, is right at the heart of everything. Um, uh, we talked about live when it emerged. I, I thought it was a terrible, uh, terrible idea. Um, Saudi Arabia wanted to get into uh, golf, into sports um, in, in different ways. But instead of getting into golf by building golf courses in Saudi Arabia, or maybe starting small with a with a women's golf academy that is in line with the social trends it's trying to promote, um, uh, its sovereign wealth fund uh, decided to basically launch an attack on the PGA Tour by partnering with some of the most dodgy members of the PGA Tour, I would say, uh, and creating a rival golf league. It's like saying we want to get into baseball. And um, we're going to start a rival to the American League and the National League, and we're going to try to skim off the best players for huge um, bags of money. I thought it was just a terrible, terrible decision. Um, and uh, But that was the decision they took. It was bad for golf. And it was bad for Saudi Arabia, Becky, because it took attention away from the social changes, important, vital, and real changes happening there. Um, and uh, focused on... Do they, do they win, though, with... Now partnering with the PGA officially, you know, Becky, I, I have to tell you, I've uh, I've been busy writing this column, and I, I've I've read as many stories as I can. I think about this deal. I don't quite understand it um, yet, and so I, I'm really reluctant to comment on it one way or or another. But um, uh, to me, you know, because I, I just don't understand exactly the how how it's all going to work. I have trouble figuring out how we approach the world in 2023, Tom. I, I do. I, I don't know how to rank. China's human rights uh, record with Saudi Arabia's, with Iran's, with North Korea. I, I don't know how to, to say uh, some of our multinationals in China are tech companies that, that go there. It, it, it just seems like you have, to, you have to have some type of compartmentalization of all these things. I don't know if Liv is worse, worse than Apple and, and, and Google and everybody else. I don't know how to rank it. I don't know how we operate in this world under the 
the realities without being hypocritical in one place versus the other. It's impossible. Joe, you're, you're exactly right. Um, and uh, my criticism of Liv is, is um, I think it's just a bad idea for Saudi Arabia um, and a bad idea, obviously, for Gulf, because it took attention away by the way it was done, Joe, from really positive things that are happening there. But on the broad question that you you raise, you know, Joe, um, Deng Xiaoping, um, uh, had Deng Xiaoping passed away in uh, China's great reformer in 1990, um, his obit in the New York Times would have said the butcher of Beijing, he, he approved the um, killings in Tiananmen Square, the crackdown there. Uh, it turns out he lived 20 years later and is seen as one of the greatest economic reformers of the 20, 20th and 21st century. So obviously, you know, these things uh, are, are always going to go together from a point of view of a journalist. I think you just have to talk about both and you have to highlight the bad, acknowledge the good and encourage the good because uh, life is messy and life is complicated. And um, that's what I tried to do. How much do you think, though, about the value of, of we're talking about the PGA, but sports broadly, because there's there's part of me that thinks that the gloves are now off. Uh, all sports leagues could uh, come up for grabs. And uh, what's to say that Saudi doesn't say, you know what, we want to start a basketball league. We're going to start a three-on-three basketball league. We're going to call up LeBron James, Steph Curry when their contracts are up. Uh, We're going to buy off, you know, the the top 20 players at the NBA. And two years later, we're going to call up Adam Silver and say, hey, Adam, uh, you know, we have this competing league over here. Actually, we'd like to merge with your league. And he might say to himself, well, I'm now in a position where I might actually have to do this with you. And how important is the NBA soft, the, whatever you think the soft power for America is through sport, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, harder probably to do with the NFL given this just the size and scale of those teams. But a tennis, by the way, being an easy uh, sports uh, industry, if you will, to, to pick off. Um, and how concerned should we be, not be? I don't know. Maybe this is all up for grabs and it's all good. Well, um, uh, obviously you, you have to be wise um, and not just rich. And um, uh, to me, Andrew, you got to go back to the original story. I mean, just do this in 30 seconds. Uh, In 1979, the Grand Mosque in Mecca was taken over by radicals. Those radicals attacked the the Saudi ruling family as insufficiently pious and many other things. It took them 30 days to get them out of the Grand Mosque. We're talking about taking over the Vatican of the Muslim world. That move was a shock to Saudi Arabia and to the ruling family. What was their response? was basically to turn over massive amounts of religious authority and social norms to the religious establishment there to protect themselves. And because they had a lot of wealth, they took the entire Arab Muslim world on a giant right turn, okay? Now, where MBS came in was that he his goal when he came in, let's, let's before anything happened with Khashoggi, was to reverse 1979. It was started in 1979, ended in 9-11. So that's why I thought he was an extremely important figure and still do. He was reversing a giant trend in the Middle East that was in not in our interest, not in the world's interest. Then in 2018, because he's an autocrat, uh, he kills uh, his government, kills Khashoggi. OK, a terrible, terrible thing. At the same time, though, he keeps these reforms going. So anyone writing about this country is in a in a real dilemma. Now, from a Saudi point of view, if you're in that dilemma, if you're putting your partners in the world in that dilemma of having to put Khashoggi over here and the critically important social reforms over here and try to encourage them to keep going, the last thing you should be doing is trying to 
uh, uh, force a takeover, a breakup of any sports league, whether it's premier soccer in 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 uh, in the UK or it's a golf or the NBA. It only draws attention away from the hugely important social reforms you're doing if, and takes someone like the Khashoggi murder, something like that murder from the sports page to the front page. It was just a really bad decision. Um, it's not how you get into sports. If you want to get into sports, do it in a way that is aligned with the social uh, trends that you've ignited at home. They are hugely important for you and hugely important in the world. I think this decision was a terrible decision, and everything that's flowed from it has been to unravel and try to disentangle that terrible, terrible, foolish decision, in my view. Tom, we're out of time, but we didn't even get to things like oil and the critical relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, the changes we've seen there. Maybe you come back soon and tell us a little Any bit time. more about that. Thanks, Beck. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Tom Friedman. And that's the pod for today. We do a lot of stories on Squawk Box, some fun, some buzzy, but many are important. And we try to bring you all you need to know every day. So thanks for listening to us through all of it. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 